Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 289. Today's episode is all about how to mind your boundaries, stop people-pleasing, and find joy in saying no. When you say no, you're saying yes to something else. When you say yes, you're saying no to something else. So... When you turn around and you say yes to something that you really don't need to, or in fact that you shouldn't be saying yes to, you're saying no to yourself. If you run around indiscriminately saying yes, or you just have a habit of saying yes for the for the wrong reasons, even when you want to do something, you're still going to feel funny about it because your body doesn't know the difference. Because you have associated saying yes and no, with anxiety and, and, and obligation and, and feeling trapped and all sorts of other uncomfortable things. Whereas if you can get into a more authentic place with your yeses and noes that respects you, then you're opening yourself up to an entirely different experience. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. If this is your first time giving your mind a little love, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Mind love is a habit, and the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win because more subscribers means Mind Love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom. So don't forget to subscribe. Guess what? This is the perfect episode to welcome me back from maternity leave. Yes, I did have my baby March 6th in the comfort of my living room. Well, I wouldn't really associate the word comfort with birthing a 10-pound baby unmedicated and pretty close to unassisted, given that my midwife arrived one minute after the birth, but it was close. (laughs) I will probably do an episode all about that story because it's long and it's crazy. But just so we're on the same page, I do have a backlog of pre-recorded interviews that I did while I was still pregnant, but from here on out, These little intro sessions with just you and I are now a little closer to real time. And like I said earlier, what better topic to focus on than people-pleasing when pretty much all of my waking and sleeping hours are dedicated to other people, big and small. Identifying as a people-pleaser is fairly new to me because there was a time when I was young, fun, and single (laughs) that I read an article on people-pleasing and I honestly just couldn't relate. But looking back, I just couldn't see how I related to it. I was living for myself, so I thought. I did what I wanted. I was a little bit flaky, and most of the time I felt like I didn't give a flying fluff about what other people thought. I'm not sure how I didn't see that maybe my boob job, Botox, and wardrobe overspending could possibly be about impressing other people. To me, I still felt as though those things were for me. Yeah, right. But in my mind, those things were for me. And even looking back a few years later, they were more about impressing than pleasing other people, right? Well, I guess that brings me to the question, what exactly is people-pleasing? 
Well, this is how Natalie Liu defines it. It's when we suppress and repress our own needs, desires, expectations, feelings, and opinions to put others ahead of ourselves so that we gain attention, affection, validation, approval, and love. Or we do it to avoid conflict, criticism, additional stress, disappointments, loss, rejection, and abandonment. Well, that's pretty all-encompassing, isn't it? When you put it that way, I have always been a people pleaser, even when I thought I was living for me. Because what I failed to realize was that the things that I thought that I wanted and needed were all about other people, was all about impressing or gaining attention or validation. So how common is people pleasing? Well, a recent YouGov survey found that about half of Americans identify as people pleasers. And about 92% of Americans do at least one of the nine people-pleasing behaviors. And it makes sense. We all have a desire for approval and validation. We all want to fit in and belong. But the problem is, if we're so focused on pleasing other people, we can lose touch with ourselves. And if you're anything like I was, you might even start to confuse your own needs with that drive for acceptance and validation. So, as always... The first step is awareness. How do we identify our people-pleasing behaviors so that we can start living from the inside out instead of the other way around? Well, that's what we're talking about today. Our guest is Natalie Liu. She's a writer, speaker, podcaster, artist, and founder of one of the longest-running self-help blogs in the world, Baggage Reclaim, and the Baggage Reclaim Sessions podcast. She helps people understand how their emotional baggage is interfering with their ability to live their lives happily and authentically. She's also the author of The Joy of Saying No, a simple plan to stop people-pleasing, reclaim boundaries, and say yes to the life you want. So three key things we will learn are the difference between wanting to do things for others and people-pleasing, the five types of people-pleasing, and how to identify which type you fall into, and six steps for finding joy in saying no. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. And now let's welcome Natalie Liu to the show. Oh, thank you for having me, Melissa. So what inspired you to focus on helping people say no? I would say it's my own journey has really shone a light on my struggle with saying no and how that has played a pivotal role in the challenges that I've experienced, you know, some of the experiences that I've been through. But then it was also the more I talked about what I struggle with, 
what I have maybe perceived to be weird or unlovable about me or difficult about me is the more you connect with people who feel exactly the same way, that there are a lot of us struggling with saying no. And so the more that I connected with people who shared the same struggle is the more that I wanted to share whatever I could to help them navigate their way out of that. Yeah, I used to hold on to shame of a lot of different things about myself because I think it took until I was in my late 20s, maybe even early 30s to realize that there's not really a way that things should be despite what society or my mom likes to say. (laughs) (laughs) So now I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe I should figure out what I want and kind of craft a life around that instead of these all of these imaginary shoulds. Oh, yeah. I mean, as you could tell by my reaction, I totally relate to that. I think that I had never really strongly considered, well, what is it I need? What do I want? Does this suit me? Does it not suit me? My life had been oriented around pleasing everyone else. And of course, when it's that way, then you find it really tricky to say no when you need, want to, or should, because you don't want to offend, piss off, hurt these people that you're trying to please. And I too had thought that there's just a way to be, that there's a lot of shoulds. And so I was in this constant bind with myself where it felt like if I didn't do something, I was breaking some sort of rule that I was going to, I don't know, bring Armageddon upon myself. And, and And like you, I had that sort of similar message you know, yeah, okay, predominantly from my mom. Although, of course, I would have picked up messages from, for instance, my my dad or my stepfather, the men in my life. But my mom in particular, a lot of shoulds, a lot of ways of how to be and not to be. So, uh, of course, I didn't know myself. I'm not blaming her for not knowing myself, but it's also not a surprise <laughs> given what I was grappling with that I didn't know or take care of myself for that matter. Right, and that's something I differentiate too. There's been moments in my self-love journey, just my growth journey of being like, gosh, why didn't my mom teach me this? And then I had the realization that that's because she's living under the understanding that that's what life is. You know, she's living her life in a way where she thinks that she has to be a certain way, that things should be. So it's not just some weird imaginary mental prison she's putting me in it's the one she's living in and I was raised under that and so then of course I'm gonna have those same the same understanding of the world or at least in the beginning but one of the things that you say is that your your boundaries communicate who you are what do you mean by that because like you said before so many of us look at these boundaries as like this way to like keep people away or like keep people in check and so what does it mean that that they are actually communicating who we are. So our boundaries are are really us communicating our preferences, principles, and priorities, so our values. But it's actually us saying what does and doesn't work for us. And if we go along with other people's agendas, if we say yes when we really mean no, if we say yes without really considering us, we and others misinterpret who we are because they think, oh, well, that's uh, that's who Natalie is. That's who Melissa is. That's who whoever it is. is. And boundaries 
are, we are our boundaries. It's actually the best way to say it in that everything that I do and don't do, everything I say and don't say is communicating what I know about myself. It's communicating my understanding of my needs, expectations, desires, feelings, and opinions. So of course, if I see boundaries as a terrible thing, which as you know, we both talked about, I did. I used to be afraid of saying no. So when I didn't see boundaries as an option for me and I saw them as punitive and like something that was going to invite terrible things upon me, I communicated a very different version of myself in the process of that. That makes sense. I'm thinking back of my at my 20s. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I didn't know who I was. In order to actually figure out those boundaries, we have to begin to develop a knowledge of ourselves, of what we like, what's important to us. And when I was focused on all of those things for other people, of course, mm -hmm. I didn't know who I am. And so if I don't know who I am, how are other people supposed to figure it out? And then of yes. course, my relationships are going to be shaky because I feel misunderstood and like my needs aren't being met, but I'm not even really sure what those needs are or how to understand myself. So I'm just projecting all of my internal feelings on somebody else. Yeah, it's this sense of like, before we understand that boundaries are just like who we are, there are needs, expectations, desires, feelings and opinions. It's us knowing the difference between ourselves and others. There can be the sense of, oh, my needs are other people's needs. No, that's a boundary issue. Why are you trying to make out like somebody else's needs are your needs? And we, we think that other people's feelings are our feelings or that other people's feelings and needs and wants are more of a priority than ours. And I, when you said about like in your 20s, like, oh, yeah, totally with you there, where it was just the sense of I'm just whoever you want me to be. I'm whatever the moment calls for. If you, if you want cool girl, if you want somebody who says she likes this and doesn't like that, I'll go along with that if it means you'll like me, if it means you'll love me, if it means you'll turn me into your girlfriend. But how can we know a line that we don't communicate? How can people meet needs through us being in a relationship with them, for instance, if we don't actually communicate who we are and what our needs are through the sort of presentation of ourselves. You know, I say to people, we can be very complicated about boundaries. And the example I use is this. If I come to you and I say, what's your name? And you say, my name is Melissa. And I turn around and I go, hey, Liz, I've just overstepped a boundary there. When you told me your name, you communicated a boundary because you communicated information about yourself. If I now turn around and I change it to something else altogether, I'm communicating something there about my understanding or should I say lack of understanding and respect of that simple boundary there so everything we do is us communicating our boundaries and going back to the example as well that you gave about being in your 20s when we were both would have been for instance dating I'm guessing like in in our 20s and we didn't call out something shady or undesirable you know unwanted in the process of that we miscommunicated our boundaries because we gave the impression that we were okay with things that we actually were not. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. 
It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. That makes sense. <laughs> Again, my whole 20s are just flashing through my eyes. And I say that, but it's still something that I'm struggling with in a totally different way. In some areas, yes, I have rock solid boundaries and I'm great at communicating them. I'm actually pretty good at saying no to things. What I'm not good at is informing people of a way that I would like things done. Like I always mm. joke on this podcast about how for some reason when I get massages, I'm like laying there and I cannot direct them like harder <laughs> and softer. Like I have heart palpitations. It's a, it's a thing every single time. And I've gotten responses from listeners. Oh my God, I'm the same way. And they'll even say like, is this too hard? And, and I'm like, yes, just say yes. And I'm like, no, I'm good. <laughs> oh my gosh. See, now that's funny because I am very particular about massages. So I up front, I'm like, I like this 
kind of massage because if they don't want to give that kind of massage like basically and and i know some people will laugh when they hear this if i'm not leaving that massage in a bit of pain i have not been massaged yes <laughs> i like that too and i hate when they do that light feathery touch or it feels like it's real tentative i'm not saying i want to get mashed up in there but if i don't feel you really going into my muscles are really working through that tension. Then what the hell am I doing now? I can I can give myself a light feathery touch. I can give myself that kind of massage at home. I've come to you for a very specific type of massage. But a friend of mine, she would hate to have that kind of massage. Like we literally went for a massage together. And when I said to her, I'm really looking forward to getting worked over, she was horrified. She's like, oh no, I just want like a gentle touch. But... <laughs> I, I get it because she that's what she wants, but I want something different. If I lie there on the bed and, I, for instance, you could be lying there on the bed and they're going way too heavy and they're going, is this okay? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's like, well, no, it's it's, it's clearly not fine if you don't think it's fine. <laughs> and, and and if it's if it's too gentle and they go, is this tough enough for you? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Then that person doesn't know that actually you want something else. And I mean, I was in a massage where I literally, from even before I'd gone in there, I was like, I like a tough massage. Give me the person that gives me the tough massage. I go in there. I'm going harder, harder. Honestly, it was like, she just was not registered. I felt so unsatisfied when I came out of there. But I think that what you pointed to there is that, that thing where we feel really uncomfortable, very clearly communicating our preference where there is this discomfort with putting our stake in the sand and saying, I like this, or I don't like that, or I need this from you. Because that feels, what would you say that that feels like in that situation? Like that feels too like you're being demanding or something? For me, I am okay with it if they if I first arrive and they're asking me my preferences, I can say it all there. If they get it wrong, I have a hard time making them feel like like all of a sudden in my head I'm like, well, if I say it now 15 minutes into the massage, then they're going to be thinking, "Oh man, I screwed up the first 15 minutes of this massage. I wasn't doing what she wanted." And so it's it's telling somebody that they haven't been doing something right in my mind. And I know Ooh. it doesn't make a ton of sense, but oh, it, uh, it when I when I think about where this comes from, just in case my mom's listening, I love you dearly, but she is the most intense person I've ever met on these preferences. Like she literally goes back to get her hair redone probably 90% of the time, like 90%. And I'm not exaggerating. Same with her nails, the cleaners that come to the point that she once went into a nail lady because it was her regular nail lady and she was going back every time to have them fix it and doesn't really comprehend like, hey, this is really eating out of all of their profits. And she's like, well, they should do it right the first time, whatever. And I'm like, I don't think you realize how specific you are. And so they, she came in to have her nails fixed and they were acrylics and the woman just starts taking them off, like just starts soaking them to take the acrylics off. And she's like, I think you're going to need to find a new nail lady. I obviously can't please you. And I was like... She's telling me the story all disappointed. And I'm like, you go, nail lady. That's probably yeah. the best thing you could have done. Yeah. Because that, that nail lady is also communicating boundaries there. I mean, that's, first of all, that's not, un, like, there's nothing wrong, actually, with the reasoning behind why you feel uncomfortable with that. Because funny enough, 
I won't, I won't go so far as to say my mom is quite at that level, but by God, my mom also loves to address something, complain <laughs> about something. Like when we go out to eat, I always feel just a little bit nervous that some, like she's not going to like something about the drink or the food. And then she's going to feel the need to kind of pull up the, you know, the, the wait staff. And I'm like, oh, you know, and you just, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're preempting it. And you're just like, and as well, I'm not saying it because I'm paying for it, that she's not allowed to say something. But sometimes the way that like she's kind of kicking off about it, I'm looking at it going, you're not even paying for this. I'm talking about how <laughs> your money this and your money. It's not your money. You're not even the one who's paying for this. Like, just <laughs> sit down and be quiet <laughs> type of thing. But I, act, I do know what you mean about that whole, it feels like because it's not being said like straight away, that now it feels like, oh, that person's done it later. But I have talked to a lot of people over the years who have felt uncomfortable in business situations. Uh, let's speak to this specifically for a moment, where they want to change something or they're ready to move on from whatever it is, but they feel uncomfortable about it because they feel as if it is a criticism of that person of the business that, for instance, they want to stop therapy or that they, in your case, want the massage to be tougher or whatever it is. But first of all, this is a business transaction. And second, they can't know how to better respond to and meet your needs if you don't communicate about it. And it's there's an underlying thought process in there, a belief that you should have known like literally with like in a minute that this person was not massaging in a way, in the most optimal of ways, let's call it that. But how could you know that? Like it might've taken the 15 minutes to get to that point. And also it can be a vulnerable situation when you're lying there half-ass naked on a <laughs> to turn around and be like, oh, I don't like blah, blah, blah. Well, can you blah, blah, blah. But the massage is only going to remain the same or be even worse if you don't say anything at all. So I it becomes know. a really unsatisfactory. And the thing is, that person is, unless they have their own issues, which is, is possible, but that person's not that invested in, oh, I I have to massage in this particular way, regardless of what the client feels, because then that's not, that's not a reciprocal experience. That's not a massage experience. That's more about the massager, not about the actual client. So... But I think, and this was the next thing I wanted to get to, which was I have personally struggled with making, not necessarily returns, but returning stuff online actually is, is fine. It's just more I might forget on occasion. But, you know, like when you have to go in and you have to, to voice um, a, a discomfort or dissatisfaction with something, in the back of my mind is my mom. <laughs> my mom in the 80s and 90s kicking off, you know, like going into the store and like taking them to task. And I would just be hanging my head in shame. I don't want to be that person. You don't want to be your mom. Mm, so it goes <laughs> deeper than I thought. <laughs> yeah. So sorry for coughing. No, it's, I tried it's, to hold that for so long. Sorry. It's fine. Yeah. It, so it goes deeper. And one of the things that you say in your book that got me that I didn't really connect is that well, suppressing your boundaries is also suppressing parts of yourself, but how willing you are to honor your boundaries is actually an expression of your self-esteem. And so I can yes. picture myself now being in a massage and being like, 
I know I have high self-esteem. Just say this, you know, and yeah. hopefully it'll work. I'm going to get a massage soon so that I can test this out. Yeah, absolutely. Because the degree to which we're willing to have boundaries reflects the degree to which we're willing to be ourselves. If we're avoiding boundaries, we are avoiding conflict, criticism, rejection, disappointment, loss, even what we might perceive as abandonment. We're, we're hoping that if we don't create the boundary, so if we don't express ourselves as fully, then we're going to get approval from others or at least avoid negative consequences. And the type of life where we are going to feel more peaceful, you know, experience contentment, where we experience more intimacy in our relationships, where we know, like, and trust ourselves involves us having healthier boundaries. We don't have to have perfect boundaries because we are not perfect. But what we do need to be willing to do is to say yes and no more authentically. So I know some people are probably thinking, well, yeah, it's great to learn how to say no, but I also like doing nice things for people. How do you differentiate whether you're just wanting to do things for others because you're generous and that's the type of person you want to be versus sort of exploiting your own boundaries? Ooh, I love this. So it's the why behind it. So Plenty of people like doing stuff for others, but they're not doing it because they're trying to control or avoid something. They're not doing it because it's a way to compensate for feelings of low self-worth. They're not doing it to try to generate a, 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 a reward. They don't have a, a hidden agenda. And that is what differentiates that type of activity from people-pleasing because people-pleasers have a different why. And they're often completely unaware of it because to be that aware of your why in the first place would involve you being a lot more connected to yourself. I think what can happen with a lot of us is that we over-identify with this sort of this persona that we have. And so we're like, I see myself as being this super generous person. And it's not that we are not generous, but I think what happens is it's for some reason it is important for us to see ourselves in that way. And what that can act as as a, as a barrier, or why that should I say, sorry, let me rephrase that. And that can become a barrier to us having healthy boundaries because in a situation where we need or want to say no, it will feel as if that contradicts the identity of being generous. So then we won't say no. And then we will feel resentful. And the thing is, if, if we're doing this stuff, claiming that we're generous and being giving, but actually we feel what I call the people pleaser feeling. So like resentful, anxious, overwhelmed, overloaded, feeling powerless, helpless, uh, you know, fretful, victimized. These are signs that you've done what for all intents and purposes might be good things, what you had seen as generous, for instance, but you've done them for the wrong reasons. And that makes sense because we think we're out there just being generous, doing things for people, like it's our persona, that's who we are. But one of the things that you mentioned also is that if you have a problem with saying no, then chances are you have a problem with other people's no's because it goes back to that idea that if we're doing things because we think that's how it should be, that's not just a standard that we're holding ourselves to, it's a standard that we're holding everyone else to. And so in our desire to like be this generous person, 
we're also looking at other people when they're not doing the exact same thing back to us. And we're like, well, yes. that's not how a friend should be. I don't feel very loved right now. I can't believe you do that. I would never do that. I would, of course, drop everything to go do this thing that you need. <laughs> Amen, Melissa. Take it to the church. You are talking stone cold facts here. You have honed in on it. Like, how are you gonna? How are we gonna sit here and be like, oh, I'm afraid of boundaries. I'm. I don't know how to say no. No feels scary. How are we gonna say that and not also? acknowledge that we have a problem with other people's boundaries and no of course when people turn around and say no to us and we see ourselves as being generous we're going to be like they're so ungenerous they're so unkind that classic people please a phrase after everything i've done for you and we have to be honest with ourselves and recognize that feeling uncomfortable about boundaries is not just about us we feel uncomfortable with other people's boundaries that's why when other people say no to us we go into a spiral and we're like, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough. I've been rejected. They don't like me. I'm not worthy. How am I going to make it through this? And that's about us reacting really quite strongly in, a, in, in, I guess, what we could call a negative fashion to somebody else expressing their sense of their boundaries. Don't get me wrong. Of course, we're going to feel some kind of way when let's say, for instance, we go on a date, this is a classic example, and we think that the date went well, we don't hear from them again. But if we make it about our worthiness, if it's like, well, why would they turn around and say no, I haven't done anything wrong, we're then linking two things together that don't belong together, that the only reason why somebody has a right to say no, is if we have done something wrong. And that's pretty messed up. Yeah. Or if you're like, but I took my pants off for you. <laughs> That's usually pretty upsetting too. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you know, the amount of messages that I've received over the years, which pretty much come down to that. I can't believe it. Like I slept with this person. I did this stuff for this person and then I didn't hear from them again. And it's like, uh, sleeping with this person doesn't create an IOU. It's not going to suddenly convert them into being available when they were not that in the first place. But these are the ways in which we often unwittingly go around behaving in a transactional manner where we think, oh, I did this thing. So that means that this person will do that. And this is where we run into trouble because actually we need to do things based on who we are, not what we're trying to in some instances, we could just call it what it is, manipulate the person into doing what we need and want. Yeah, I thought I was tickling his balls for 30 minutes after the fact, just because I was nice. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, that hasn't happened in quite some time. <laughs> and now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams... 
Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're kind of differentiating between our motives and and the place that this is coming from. What are some of the other ways that we can identify if people-pleasing is an actual problem with us? Because I didn't even know I was a people-pleaser <laughs> until I started to understand that I had no boundaries. Like It was a problem that I didn't know that I had, so it made it even more difficult to fix. Oh, and that's a common thing, Melissa, because I think when I whenever I talk to people about pleasing, people-pleasing, and and I'm talking groups of people here, it would be you get a portion of people who they have an idea of what they think people-pleasing is, and maybe they don't think it's really got anything to do with them, or they do, but they're not really quite sure how that manifests in their life. And then a portion of them over-identify with being a people-pleaser, like it's a badge of honor. Oh, I'm such a people-pleaser. Oh, I'm such a people-pleaser. <laughs> and then there are others who are like, oh, people-pleaser equals being a doormat. And... You get these sort of extremes in it. And that's why a lot of people don't know what it is. And I think that it has, it's, I think it's easily misunderstood because they think that people pleasing is when you do very obvious things that make it look like you're, you know, basically a performing seal on steroids. Whereas actually, if we say yes, when we really mean no, if we say yes, without considering the meaning and consequences of the impact on ourselves, if we grapple with, as I said, those people pleaser feelings like the resentment and the overwhelm, you know, feeling guilty and and anxious and feeling victimized and like you have no choice, these are signs that you're you're saying yes for the wrong reasons and that you are not really aware of your boundaries. So your responsibilities versus other people's responsibilities, who you are versus others. But other signs in your life can be like if you've ever been involved with an emotionally unavailable person or even with a shady person who, as in somebody who's at best taken advantage or at worst abusing you, there's your people pleasing showing up right there. Because whatever you were doing in order to be with that person, to try to hold on to them, to try to win them back, people pleasing 101. If you have a very clear role in your interpersonal relationships, so people tend to see you as the listener or the helper or the fixer or the, the peacemaker or 
the black sheep or the overachiever, any type of role, anything did you see as being like, oh, that's my job. You know, that over-identifying with a particular identity or persona, that's a sign of people pleasing because this is something that you feel as if you need or have to do in order to get approval. But it's also a way of wearing a mask where it's like you play these roles, but a role is not you. So you're putting on this mask, this costume, and being what you think society or your family or whoever it is wants of you, but it's not actually the same as being you. If you've experienced, uh, if you tend to feel, if you've dealt with things like burnout, mystery ailments, feeling exhausted, feeling as if the only time when you can actually take time off, you know, for for you to rest, for you to have some time for yourself, is if you're in dire straits, you know, you're ill or something, that's a sign that you're a people pleaser because you're very oriented to, oh, I've I've got to deliver at work and I've got to help everybody else and I've everybody else out and I've, I've got to be, be there for everyone. These are signs of, of the people pleasing. Like if you if you focus on, oh, I need to be liked almost at all costs and it's all about how things look to others. Like I need to be perceived as being a good person, you know, I, or you're obsessed with how much effort you put into things. Like if I do this, then... This, this, and this are going to happen. So it's always about like being the best, trying hard, giving 100%. All of these are signs that you're a people pleaser. And this, the reason why we don't know about this stuff is because this is what we've been told what it is to be a good person or even what it is to be human. Like we're socialized and conditioned into this. Yeah. And it's, and that's because so many people are living their lives that way from the outside in rather than from the inside out. And thank God for podcasts and audiobooks and all the internet, all the new ways that we're getting information out. Because when I share stuff like this with my mom, it goes a layer deep. When I share it with my grandmother, it's almost like it's even more foreign to her because mm. the the way of life was just different. Like this is how you should be. And it's funny too, because I've been noticing these different patterns with it. Whereas my grandma... She raised five kids and she just got pregnant really easily and quickly. And so they were like back to back. By the end, she was like begging her doctor for birth control, but she was Catholic. And so she was like Uh. trying not to tell anyone. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and she shares now like how my grandpa didn't help back then. And I know that they've had some heart to hearts now, but just in the last like five or six years where he's, really apologized for that and like has shown up in a different way and they're pretty old now but it meant a lot to her because she was just kind of surviving and trying to get through and she had to move across the country at one point with five kids on a train by herself because he had already (laughs) moved for the job things like that And, and there was no option for her in her mind to voice a different need because that's how it was with everybody else that she knew, where the moms just kind of stayed home and did this and the dads went to work and supported in that way. And when he came home, he just turned on the TV. I don't know if they had TV back then, did whatever he did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know when things arrived. but <laughs> And so, and on one hand, She's like looking at this generation and being like, oh my gosh, what a change. On the other, (laughs) there's this element of she's kind of evolved to be this like Zen master in a way. Like she can just let things roll off her shoulders the way that this generation isn't as good at. And I'm like, where's that line of, of being like, these are my boundaries versus kind of getting upset at how things are, I suppose. 
Yeah, that's a that's a really good question, actually, because I think that, you know, as as you said earlier and really perfectly illustrated with your grandmother, like they came up in a different time. We came up in a different time. Like the time that my daughters who are teenagers now are, are coming up in is totally different to to what it was like for me. You know, I, I was a teenager in the 90s. And so when I went out as a teenager, I didn't have a mobile phone on me documenting every move uh, <laughs> that I made. Thank um, God. I didn't I'm know so about, glad I skipped that. <laughs> yeah, totally. I didn't know about like anxiety, mental health, self-care. Like this was just was not a language. And the expectations that we have had of humans and then of, of women, of men, of people have been very rooted in the sense of this is how things are done. And of course, depending on where you were born, the family you came into, your race, your religion, uh, you know, the, all of those things can impact that, the, the rules, the ideas that you have internalized about what it means to be a certain type of person. Motherhood was this all-sacrificing role. You didn't have anything to you other than well, not just motherhood, like being a wife. And so you didn't have an identity outside of that. And you were just expected to get on with it. If you had some sort of ailment and you went to the doctor as a woman and you were like, oh, I've got this thing. You were a hysterical woman making a big fuss about nothing. You had to grin and bear it. And I think as a society, we we need to find somewhere between not giving a flying F about anything that anybody feels and who they are and what they need, expect, want, feel and think. And then rolling too far the other way where there is all can sometimes be the sense that people actually still don't really know who they are, but they're sometimes thinking, oh, I'm doing something in the name of, of my mental health. But actually there's a level of sort of spiritual bypassing going on there mm -hmm. as well, where they're not really connected with their self. And of course, that is a is a, a work in progress. Uh, you know, I look at, as you said, like, you know, somebody like your grandmother, you know, we, we know plenty of people like that in those various age groups and possibly even in our own, where they just crack on and do things. That has its pluses and minuses because there is a resilience, I think, that we were endowed with as a result of growing up in those times. You, me, your parents, my parents, our grandparents and so forth, they came up in a totally different time. And as a result of what there wasn't room for, they 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 learned a certain type of resilience. But it, it's, it meant neglecting and really having no sense of our emotional, mental, physical and spiritual health. That's why those generations, including ours, were like machines, you know, who don't really have a sense of their limits and just, just think, oh, you're ill, well, get a grip on yourself. Just plow on. Keep going. Keep plowing on. Whereas, you know, you hear some people saying, oh, well, the younger generations, they're like, oh, I need a mental health day. <laughs> that didn't even exist <laughs> way, way back. Can you imagine back in the day? Oh, hey, I know I just started this job, but I need a mental health day. They'd have been like, get out. You're fired. <laughs> I'm not saying that that's what should happen now. I think that we are in a, a transition in our understanding of boundaries but you know a lot of people will be like oh so what am I just supposed to do just run around saying no to everyone well first of all if that's not authentic then that's still as much of a problem as an inauthentic yes um 
I think that the closer we are to understanding ourselves, so feeling our feelings, having a sense of who we are versus other people, knowing the difference between desire and obligation is the more that we can find that middle ground between how things were in the past and sometimes how heightened things can be in the present. Yeah. And I found that my understanding of all this has evolved where, like I said, there's these weird little pain points for me where I'm like, why can't I just like say this? Like I just spent the last 80 minutes of a 90 minute massage just saying like, just, just say it now. (laughs) And I feel like somebody's like got my throat by their hand or something. But then in other ways where I've realized that, you know, things that I don't think are fun anymore or the things I do love to sink into, I'm I'm really good at just voicing that. Like, no, that's not my thing. Saying no to things that I don't have the bandwidth for, I've gotten so much better at as well. Like mm. I, I might still have like the heart palpitations right before the conversation, but I, I also know the sooner I get over that conversation, the yeah. easier the rest of life seems. So Amen. I, I'm working on getting that out there fast. But I've noticed that because there's different ways of being a people pleaser, sometimes one way will slip through the cracks because I don't really identify it as one of the ways that it manifests. And I know that you differentiate five types of people pleasers. Can Mm -hmm. we get into that? Yeah. So there are five styles of people pleasing, which are a gooding, efforting, avoiding, saving, and suffering. So gooders, you know, people who engage in this gooding style of people pleasing are people who are primarily driven by wanting to be liked and how things look. So they want to be good in whatever form that takes. It doesn't necessarily translate necessarily into always into what they're doing, but it's always about giving that image of I'm doing the right thing. I'm being a good kind of person. Efforters, which is what I am, are, are people who... Their people pleasing is through their efforts as opposed to being about their image. I am the trying, 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 putting in effort, trying to be the best, giving 100%. Anybody who has ever felt like or been told that they are a perfectionist who is is maybe quite self-critical, who feels like their efforts are not recognized, who is very much about whatever they do. I did this, so why why didn't that happen? They are efforters. They are in that efforting style of people pleasing. Um, Some people pleasers are avoiders. So their way of pleasing others is by avoiding whatever they think will make others uncomfortable. If that means never, ever talking about the elephant in the room, even if that means leaving them in intense pain, then so be it for the avoider people pleaser. And they have picked up a message somewhere along the way that the most important thing is to just like not rock the boat. Don't say the thing, don't do the thing, don't be the thing. So they will even avoid being too happy if they think it's not going to, if they think that doing that will cause discomfort for somebody else. Savers are the helpers, fixers, you know, saviors of this world who their people pleasing is by going around doing things for others. So they they have an element of the gooding and efforting traits, but they're very much about helping and fixing and saving. 
And this becomes a rod for their own backs because they are trying to gain self-worth through basically trying to fix other people's stuff instead of actually addressing their own stuff. And they can also end up overstepping boundaries. And they often are well-intentioned, but of course we know how having good intentions can create its own set of problems in and of itself. Then there are sufferers, which are people who think that the more you suffer, the better you are or the, the gooder you are. That also the way that maybe you can draw attention to your needs and finally have people meet your needs is if, you, if you're if you in plight, if you're suffering loads, then surely somebody is going to turn around and be like, okay, finally, I'll take care of you because look at how much you've pleased me. So there are some people who they think that it's their job to essentially be in pain because that will make sure that somebody else is happy with them. That reminds me of my step-grandma. Martyrdom. <laughs> <laughs> For the whole, our whole lives, it's just kind of funny to identify as you're going through this list. I'm like, oh, yep, that's Karen. No, that's Aunt <laughs> yeah, Sue. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I probably... Yeah, I'm probably only good at identifying other people because I have a little string of all of these in me. And it's just easier to be like, oh, that's them, rather than put the mirror up and be like, how does this affect me? And, and I think with the thing that I stress in the book is about you might find that you identify with elements of all of these or that you've been these at different phases of your life, depending on what has been going on. But it's looking at what's your primary driver. Like, I know that I've probably had a, a, a bit of gooding and a bit of avoiding in there for sure. But me, I am an efforter through and through because everything is how much can I control things with my efforts? And 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 efforters, for instance, are the most likely, efforters and, and savers are the most likely to burn out because they overdo it, whether it's that we burn ourselves out from trying so hard, for instance, at work, or we burn ourselves out from being there for others. Yeah, and that makes sense. And that's one of the things in the beginning of understanding this that really got me because it's I'm trying to be there for everyone else. But what that's doing is it's wasting all of my resources, my energy, my bandwidth. Mm -hmm. And then I can't actually apply that to the things that are really meaningful to me or the people that are really meaningful to me. And I'm like, I just went and got a massage to relax. And I I just outdid myself with all of the mental turmoil that I was in for that 80 minutes. Yeah. But now I need to go home and have a nap and I can't even be there for my family. So, of course, learning to do this isn't just about like being selfish and standing in like, oh, I need to build the life the way I want. So I need to make sure everybody knows the way I want it. No, it's that hey, I have a limited amount of resources and I want to allocate those in the ways that are the most meaningful to me and the ways that I think will be the most effective for the causes and the people that are important to me. And so in mm. order to do that, I'm going to need to say no to certain things so that I can say yes to others, which is a one of the points that you make that I think is so important is that it's not just, boundaries are not just about what you say no to, it's just as much about what we say yes to. Yeah, absolutely. I think that people see it very much as either or, like almost like, oh, I said no. Now I'm saying like no forever and evermore. When you say no, you're saying yes to something else. When you say yes, you're saying no to something else. So when you turn around and you say yes to something that you really don't need to, or in fact that you shouldn't be saying yes to, you're saying no to yourself. And, you know, 
I have, for instance, found, you know, like when you have one of those days at work that is just wearing down your last nerve and somewhere along the way you've suggested something that maybe you shouldn't have or that there's just an overdue no somewhere. And when you don't say that no, what happens? Well, I come in and I don't know, the kids are doing something and on a normal day it would roll right over me. But because I am now stressed out about whatever this thing is, I'm ratty with the kids or with my husband, like I'm distracted and snippy and whichever else. And it's like, oh, actually, if I can be honest with myself about what it is that's bothering me or about what I need, then I can say no to the things that I need to say no to and yes to the things that I want to. But if we keep saying yes, 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 even when actually we really need to be saying no, there are times when we are not going to be able to say yes to things that we genuinely want to do. In fact, one of the points I make actually in the book is that if you run around indiscriminately saying yes, or you just have a habit of saying yes for the for the wrong reasons, even when you want to do something, you're still going to feel funny about it because your body doesn't know the difference because you have associated saying yes and, and no with anxiety and, and, and obligation and, and feeling trapped and all sorts of other uncomfortable things. Whereas if you can get into a more authentic place with your yeses and nos that respects you, then you're opening yourself up to an entirely different experience. Oh, and that's such a good point and really drills home the reasons why this is such an important thing to learn. And so given that your book is all about finding the joy in saying no, I know that you have six different steps to do that. And they're all so, even on their own, <laughs> just learning one of them, I feel like is so helpful. And yes. so let's get into those. The first one is getting to know your pleaser, which we've kind of been doing, but what else do we need to know in that area? Um, I I say to people that you need to observe your pleaser in the day-to-day. -day. It's one thing reading the book and going, oh, yeah, I identify with that. Oh, yeah, I identify with that. Great. But start paying attention to, like, spend a week observing your yeses, nos, and maybes. No judgments, no shame. Just getting a sense of where are you spending your yeses, nos, and maybes? Where are you spending your bandwidth? Who is it? that really pushes your people pleaser buttons because until you really have a sense of how your people pleaser manifests in your life, you're not going to know where you need to make adjustments. And within like a day or two, you can have a real eye opener with doing this work where it's like, oh, there's that person when their name pops up, like on my phone or on my email, it just sends a shiver through me because I know they want something from me. They're the person that you need to be mindful of because they are likely to push your people pleaser buttons. But getting to know your people pleaser allows you to start thinking creatively about where you can look for opportunities to say no, but also where you can just be more mindful about how you're saying yes. Something I mentioned in the book, and I think a lot of us, are guilty of this is that a lot of people front load their week. So for instance, if they're not working at the weekend, they use the weekend to sleep or to chill or whatever it is. So they feel somewhat energized by the end of the weekend. So they go into work or start their week at home or whatever it is, just throwing out those, those yeses like there's no tomorrow. Then it gets to like Tuesday, Wednesday, and they are on a downer. Like they're starting to go into a slump. They're feeling drained. They're feeling overwhelmed. And that's because they have used up their energy and those yeses in the earlier part of the week without considering the impact on themselves and on the rest of their week. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It 
I used to be a runner and <laughs> the whole thing with long distance runner was learning how to manage your energy. And I remember it was like two years ago that I'm like, wait, why have I never applied that to any other area <laughs> of my life? But it, and so the next one is all about recognizing your baggage because we want to see the things that we're coming in with. And sometimes that'll give us insight into more of the ways this manifests. How do we get closer to recognizing our baggage? I think in those moments or even afterwards when we realize that we are potentially people pleased, it is literally asking ourselves, what's the baggage behind this? Like, where else have I felt, fought and acted similarly? And there is going to be something that comes up for you. There always is. The only reason, the, literally the only reason why we don't have boundaries, why we don't say no when we need, want to and should is because of emotional baggage. So if we can acknowledge in that moment, what was coming up for me there? Where else have I felt and fought and acted similarly? It's like, oh, like what you were talking about with the massage, we both recognize in our own experiences of that whole, oh, I don't really kind of want to make a fuss here, that that comes from what we have associated with our mothers in those similar circumstances, even though we are not our mothers. And we are not going back again and again and again for the hairdo or the nails or trying to, I don't know, pull a fast one, trying to make a complaint. We're not doing that at all. But we're so afraid of being seen like them that we just avoid sometimes speaking up altogether. I'm having so many epiphanies right here. <laughs> I'm just, and the only thing I'm doing is planning my next massage. I'm like, this is what I'll say. And let me walk through it a few times. It's like psycho-cybernetics. I just have to do a few run-throughs. It'll be easier in the moment. And so and, and the thing about recognizing baggage, I wanted to say, was that when we when we are more honest with ourselves and recognize where our baggage is showing up, we can stop tricking ourselves and telling us, oh, well, I'm just I'm just this kind of person. I'm such a loser. I'm this, I'm that. No, we've all got emotional baggage. It shows up in our day to day. And if we can recognize where our baggage shows up and have even a slightly different response to the past, then it heals that baggage and those boundaries around those particular experiences. That's so true, because then once you fix it in one area, it's so much easier to fix it in the next. And mm -hmm. I know we've been going back to <laughs> sort of seeing that some of this might come from the way we were raised, but we do have the option, which is our third step, to reparent ourselves. How do we go about that? Well, this is about really, we've been our primary caregiver since we became an adult. And that doesn't do away with the fact that we have parents, whether they're, they're still alive or whether they've passed, but we are our primary caregiver. We are the person who's responsible for, you know, meeting our needs, taking care of our wants and expectations, you know, recognizing our feelings, getting a sense of our thoughts, creating our boundaries and respecting our bandwidth. And when we recognize that we're the primary caregiver and, and realize, oh, I've been neglecting myself, neglecting parts of myself because I'm seeing it as somebody else's job to tell me who I am and who to be, or I'm blindly following still what my parents told me, even though it's decades since I became an adult. Then we're in a position where we can look at how to get into a gentler relationship with us, where we mother and father ourselves in those areas where we need it. It is acting as a parent towards ourselves, particularly in those moments when we tend to be really hard on us. So getting into a more compassionate, honest, caring dialogue with ourselves. So when we are getting into that compassionate, honest, caring dialogue, what are some examples of what that might look like? 
So I think a biggie is, you know, <laughs> you know, when you screw up about something and then in your head, you're, you're saying all sorts of crappy things to yourself yes. about, oh my God, you just screw up. I can't believe you. See, this is why you never, right? That is a learned behavior. That is a habit that is when you're in that situation, it's what your inner critic and even the conscious critic, i.e. yourself, runs to the same because it's what you've learned to do. When we reparent ourselves, it's recognizing in those instances where we need to show up a bit more for ourselves and be like, hold on a second. We can see what we're doing to ourselves. We acknowledge, oh, hold on a second. I've been really, really tough on me here. Is this the way? that I really want to speak to myself? Is this the way that I would want somebody else to speak to me? Is this the way that I would even want to speak to another child in that same situation? Bearing in mind that we all have all the younger versions of us within ourselves. We're like those Russian dolls. And when we are unkind to us in ways that we have been doing for a really long time and in ways that other people have been unkind to us in the past, it's like sending a message to ourselves, to all those younger selves, that nothing has changed, that we're still in those situations when actually we're not. So if we can get into a gentler dialogue where it's like, okay, what's going on here? You know, like how when your kid is upset, for instance, you know, I know we both have kids and you don't turn around and start cussing them out the moment that they they feel upset or when they make a slip up, you, you, you hear them out first, you let them get their emotions out, you comfort them. And then once you've given them that space to do that, then you might come in with it. Okay, then well, you cuss you them out. <laughs> 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 but, but this is what we do. We're just a bit gentler with ourselves in that yeah. moment. It's also, I think, something I mentioned in the book is about how we have to really reflect on what type of parent we want to be to ourselves. Like, are we actually planning to repeat exactly what, for instance, our own parents did. And it doesn't have to come from a point of shame, like, oh my gosh, my parents did these things and now I have to avoid that. It's like, look, our parents did what they did with the level of awareness that they had at that time. And we don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. There were things that my mom was really good at doing and there were other things, <sighs> nah. But at the end of the day, we have to recognize, hold on, I'm the one who's in charge of me now. I'm the one who gets a say. So what type of relationship do I want to be in with me now and going forward? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because it's one of the many ways that we bring ourselves off of autopilot. And I think that's not something that's ever taught unless we go and we look for this work. Otherwise, yeah, mm. we are just going by based on the way we were raised the way society says sh things should be what our friends like and dislike and my whole process of self-growth and understanding myself has been bringing awareness to one area of my life at a time and then mm. recreating it which is really overwhelming in the beginning but when I stopped looking at it as like oh my god I have a whole overhaul to do and instead I'm like I'm probably going to be doing this my whole life so yeah. I might as well just be okay with the process what do I want to work on next what's speaking to me now and so, yeah, it's part of your lifestyle as opposed to, oh, my gosh, I got to do this thing like drudgery type of thing. And step four, I feel like is such a good way to do that, because it's not just about, you know, this new hard thing of figuring out how to say no and potentially disappoint people and whatever. But it, it's actually understanding, can I make this thing a desire or say no, which is step four. Speak more on that. I think that something that a lot of us are not aware of is is that a lot of the time when we say yes to something, it's because we are not because we want to, but because 
we are avoiding saying no, which is not the same thing. We're also saying yes because it feels like we don't have a choice, that it is an obligation, that we're going to get into trouble. These are not authentic reasons to say yes. There are some things that we have obligations about, but there are, there are we have a lot less obligations than we think. Um, but even then, when we can consciously choose what we do and don't want to do, then we are giving autonomously as opposed to sacrificing ourselves or doing things that are only going to lead to resentment. Because whenever we do things from this place of, I have to, this is an obligation, I don't have any choice, it always, always, always leads to us feeling guilty and resentful. And this really well sets up the next one, <laughs> which when I read, I was like, yeah, <laughs> secrets out. <laughs> Step five, cut back on hinting. How do we hint and how do we cut back on it? You know, a lot of the time we really want people to do the legwork for us. We want to look a little bit pained in the face. We want to say it, but not say it. And we just hope that the other person will pick up on that and and figure out what it is that we need or want or expect. You know, I'm thinking of you. We use the massage thing again. And it's funny, your masseuse probably is picking up some sort of hints from <laughs> your body. That this is not your most comfortable massage, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> it might not be enjoying it as much because our body doesn't lie, you know. You, you, they can tell by the way you're holding yourself even on the bed that you're not as relaxed. Well, it. if That's it's too I'm hard, but usually I'm like, harder, please. And then I'm too relaxed. So I go and limp noodle and I'm like, can you see that I'm not even flinching? <laughs> <laughs> not as obvious. Anyways. Yeah. But it is that whole, I, I think that, so people pleasing is hinting full stop because we are we use our people pleasing in whatever form that takes to hint at what we need desire expect feel and think and we also use people pleasing as a way to hint at what we hope the other person will do yeah and as a result it kind of becomes like well i've done all the things i've been really good i've made all of this effort i've helped and supported so much i've avoided talking about that thing or avoided pushing you about that thing. Or look at how much I've suffered to be in this relationship. That's us hinting. Look at the pain I'm going through. Look at how much effort I'm putting in. Look at how good I'm being. Look at how I avoid that stuff for you. Look at how I help and support you. Rather than coming out straight and saying, I need you to do, da -da 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 -da. I want you to do, I don't like it when you we won't come out with that. Instead, we just go around the houses with the hinting. And there are all sorts of ways that we hint. We're passive-aggressive behavior. You know, when we're obstructionist and resistant, we say one thing, we do another. A very classic one, actually, where people please us with hinting is that somebody asks us if we can do something, you know, they invite us to something, and we like how they feel in that moment. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course I can go. So they look so pleased. But mentally, we're already making calculations about how we're going to get out of this thing. And then maybe when we talk to them, we keep telling them about how busy we are, how stressed <laughs> we are. Do you think you're still going to be able to make it to that thing? Rather than coming out straight and saying, I I'm not going to be able to make it. We're asking them if they're going to be able to make it because we just don't want to come out straight and say, I can't make it. And so sometimes the person will turn around and say, so can you still do it? And then we're now put on the spot. Yeah, yeah. But we're looking strange, you know, a bit constipated and stuff. 
<laughs> with with this, but we just won't come. Like we want other people to figure it out and give us an, an out from that. You know, another example. You know, I see this a lot with romantic relationships. Is we use being good. You know, trying to be the perfect partner, the perfect girlfriend, the perfect boyfriend, the perfect spouse to hint at what we want our partner to do, and then we feel really, really frustrated with them when they don't figure that out. And so, like, we'll be out for dinner with them and we'll be like oh did you hear that Bessie and Jackie got engaged I mean oh my gosh like they've only been together for like two months and they're already engaged hint 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 we've been together for a lot longer than that and we're not engaged what do you think our partner turns around and it's like hmm, yeah okay we're then feeling annoyed because it's like why are they getting a message here then they mention maybe then we mention something else about somebody else's relationship they still don't get the hint and then we talk about something that we did for them they're still not getting a hint. The proposal still doesn't come. And then we get all annoyed with them. At what point in that conversation did we turn around and say, hey, we've been together for however long. I'm just wondering, are we both on the same page here about where we're both hoping for this relationship to go? Da, 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 da. We don't do that. Instead, it's like, let me be good. Let me bust up my boundaries so that you'll think, oh, wow, what a good girl. What a good guy you've been. Let me give you an engagement ring. Yeah, that's a good point. I can actually flash back to my whole relationship to where super passive aggressive little hints. <laughs> and then I, I got to a point where I started just being more obvious with them. Like I do the elbow and the wink and be like, you picking up what I'm throwing down, <laughs> which worked a little better, added a little humor. I think I needed that stepping stone into it. But now I'm just like, all right, I saw this and it brought up this and now we need to talk about this. <laughs> and yeah, my husband's absolutely. just like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that a lot of the times we're, we're nervous about being direct. We see direct as being confrontational, rude, difficult, all the things. When actually we think we're going 70% of the way when actually that's not necessarily how the other person is is receiving what we're saying. People like to know where they stand and we need to be clearer in how we communicate. Otherwise, we use our people pleasing as a way to try to communicate these messages and it fails. So the last step is really about reflection on all of these things, learning from our eruptions and our challenges. What's the best way to reflect on this? Well, I think that you know, we're all going to experience eruptions and challenges and, and possibly already have. And that can give some great clues as to what your people-pleasing has been and what it is that you've needed to learn from that. So for instance, maybe the challenge that you went through was, I don't know, working with somebody who for once in your life wasn't always telling you how amazing you are and how hard you were working and you felt really resentful and confused about that and you were always trying to please this person at work and that challenge was really there to show you about how much you rely on this identity of being praised and and performing but maybe you have burnt out or you were really like went for a painful breakup and it's easy to judge yourself when you go through these, you know, redundancy, bereavement, all these different things that can come along in life. It's easy to judge yourself. But this chapter is, and this step is really about what is life showing you in this moment about what it is that you need? Where do you need to start saying no? Where did you have overdue no's that resulted in that challenge or that eruption? That makes a lot of sense because we tend to beat ourselves up especially when we're going through work <laughs> we're trying to learn something new and then we look back and we're like ah 
gosh, I could have just voiced what I wanted there. Why did I, I do that? Maybe I haven't made as much progress as I thought I did. But instead, it's like, oh, you know, there was another opportunity. I missed this one. How can I approach that better next time? And going through it, even like visualizing yourself doing it the way you wish you would have is helpful at times. Although it can, (laughs) although I'm sure we all reflect on the leaving something and like, oh, I should have said this. And then we get wrapped up in a story. So how do we make sure that we don't stress ourselves out more (laughs) through this little mental mind game than just sort of learning from it and moving forward? I think that we have to be careful about being a perfectionist, um, about our healing and our growth. It's almost like, oh my God, this thing happened to me. Oh gosh, I wish I'd handled it perfectly. So then we have all of these regrets and it's like, mate, you're alive and you're breathing. Believe me when I say you will be presented with another opportunity to do better by you, to speak up next time, to show up next time, to be clearer about what it is that you need, desire, expect, feel and think. And we need to give ourselves some grace. Again, going back to we were socialized and conditioned into people pleasing. We have gone through specific experiences that contribute to why we do certain types of people pleasing, why we avoid saying no in certain contexts, why we are unafraid of our limits. And these experiences, if we give ourselves grace, give us an opportunity to be closer connected to ourselves and to others. They allow us to choose more mindfully for ourselves so that we can have better experiences. If we keep telling ourselves it's because I'm not good enough, it's because I'm this, we're not going to get the lesson. So the lesson's just going to keep coming back at us. If we're honest about where we need to say no, and also where, yeah, in some instances where we need to say yes, then we can move on from whatever it is that we've experienced. Well, we have so much to work with in this episode, very actionable insights to not only identify where our pain points are, but then also how to move forward in a new way so that we're actually crafting a life that is from the inside rather than from the outside. So for listeners that are interested in learning more about you and your book, where's the best place for them to connect? So my main website is baggagereclaim.com, which is where I have my blog and my podcast, The Baggage Reclaim Sessions. And my book, The Joy of Saying No, comes out on January 10th, 2023 in the US. And that really takes you through how to reclaim yourself from the cycle of people pleasing by learning how to say no and using no in your day-to-day life as a way to heal and take care of yourself. And, And honestly, it's the culmination of my 17-year journey as a recovering people pleaser and sharing all of the tips and tools and insights that I've gained along the way. And that my book is available, you know, all the online retailers as well as in bookstores as well, or at least it will be once it actually comes out. All the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 289. Your challenge for this week is to just become aware of your people-pleasing tendencies. Like I said earlier, 92% of people have at least one of the nine people-pleasing behaviors. So which type are you? Wanting to fit in and belong is normal, but the problems arise when we start putting other people before ourselves. It's like the biggest self-help lesson that we've ever learned is always on an airplane. (laughs) Put on your own oxygen mask first. When we do that, we're able to show up better for everyone else in our lives, but we tend to just 
drain ourselves, wear ourselves out, trying to be everything for everyone else. And in the process, we can lose ourselves. So identify where you are people-pleasing. Is it to avoid conflict? Is it to seek approval? Is it to seek attention or validation? And then once you've identified just one, figure out a new plan of attack for the next time that thing occurs. Whether it's a script for yourself to actually say no, and that might sound silly, but it really works. If you're not good at saying no, and you already know this about yourself, and then you're put on the spot, chances are you're gonna fall back into your old patterns. But just like when it comes to creating any new behavior change, first you have to lay out your plan, whether that's a script that you practice saying in front of the mirror, whether you write it out, whether you sit there and actually write out the reason, the deeper reason for saying no, rather than just feeling like you're selfish in that moment. All of these things are ways that you create a new reality, that you create a new neural pathway that you can step into the next time this situation occurs. And it's not going to be easy at first, but the more that you walk that path, the easier it will be to find the next time it comes around. So one step at a time, identify one area that you tend to people please the most and create a new plan of action. And then just practice walking those steps. And let me know how it goes. Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa, which is also the place that you can find photos of my new adorable baby. That's why we're all there, right? (laughs) If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is by supporting one of my amazing sponsors, which you can find at mindlove.com slash sponsors, or by joining the Mindlove membership, which is incredible this year. I don't know if you've heard, but I have masterclasses that are dropping every single month, partnering with some of the best guests of the podcast, along with my personal tools for changing my life around for actually taking control and living an intentional life. So find that at mindlove.com slash membership. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with mind love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.